Welcome to episode 14 of the Giants of the Faith podcast. I'm Robert Daniels, and I'm the host of this show, where we focus on individuals from the age of the church who have lived out their faith in a unique or interesting way. They are people who are giants in the history of Christendom. These are Christian Hall of Famers. Today's episode focuses on the proto-reformer Jan Hus. Hus lived about a century before the Reformation and was influenced by the writings of another proto-reformer, John Wycliffe, who we'll get to in a future episode. Obviously, the reformers are going to play a large part in this podcast at some point, but I've been putting them off as I think about how to give them appropriate focus. So with Hus, we'll sort of dip our toes in the shallow end of the Reformation waters, knowing that Luther, Melanchthon, Zwingli, and others are waiting for us in the deeper waters. Jan Hus was born sometime around 1372 in Husnik, Bohemia. The exact date isn't known. Husnik is a small town in what was the Kingdom of Bohemia and is now the Czech Republic. Little of his early life is known. His parents were peasants. His father's Christian name was Michael, but we don't know his surname. Jan took his surname from the town, and we don't know the mother's name at all, but we do know that he had at least one sibling because he had a nephew that he wrote about near the end of his life. At around age 10, Hus was sent to the local monastery to be educated. He was a bright enough lad to be sent on to learn in Prague, one of the major cities of Bohemia. Eventually, he enrolled in the University of Prague, where he was a diligent, if not especially gifted, student. In 1393, he completed his bachelor's degree, and he had his master's by 1396. Since he was a poor boy, without a rich family or patrons to support him, he had to work to get through school. One of his jobs was as a choir boy. Uh, he wrote of his time at school, When I was a hungry young student, I used to make a spoon out of bread in order to eat peas with it. Then I ate the spoon as well. While at university, Hus was exposed to the writings of John Wycliffe, the Oxford professor who spoke out against papal authority and who had done the shocking thing of translating the Bible into English, as well as pushing for other reforms in and out of the church. The University of Prague was divided on Wycliffe. The German schoolmasters were generally opposed to his ideas of teaching in the common tongue and his opposition to the church hierarchy, while the Czech masters were generally in favor of his ideas. In 1391, a couple of prominent Prague residents founded the Bethlehem Chapel for the purpose of teaching and preaching in the Czech language. The chapel was never called the church, but it could hold up to 3,000 attendees. Hus was appointed to be the preacher there in 1402. Hus would remain at the chapel for a decade. His sermons were the sermons of a reformer, speaking out against pilgrimages to view relics, attacking the prohibition against unlicensed preaching, and basically being a thorn in the side of the authorities, both secular and religious. He often took out his anger on his fellow clergy. He admonished certain priests for their attitudes toward their flock. He called them out for their lecherous ways. He also took them to task for simony, which is the practice of buying and selling church offices, at one point saying, These priests deserve hanging in hell calling them fornicators, parasites, money misers, and fat swine. They are drunks whose bellies growl with great drinking, 
and are gluttons whose stomachs are overfilled until their double chins hang down. Priests were charging congregants for administering the sacraments, and they were accepting money for jobs that they'd never held. Hus was not a fan. Wycliffe's ideas continued to take root in Prague. In 1403, the German schoolmasters had condemned 45 supposedly heretical articles from his writing. By 1408, the Archbishop of Prague forced the Czechmasters to do the same. The Archbishop thought this condemnation would end the Wycliffe controversy, but it really only fanned the flames. The Czechs and Hus persuaded King Wenceslas IV to support them over the Germans in a move that was definitely nationalistic. Wenceslas gave control of the university to the Czechs and forced the Germans to leave for other schools, and Hus was selected as the rector. The reformers' platform included support for the submission of regional churches to the king and independence from a central church. Of course, the Catholic Church wasn't too thrilled with these ideas. The local archbishop, a man named Zbynek, was particularly unfond of Hus. He had been the object of Hus's condemnation for simony and other offenses. He sent spies to hear Hus preach and to report back to him on any objectionable or potentially heretical sermons. Eventually, Zbynek appealed to Pope Alexander V to put a stop to Hus. Now, Alexander was one of three men simultaneously claiming to be Pope. He had just been elected to try and end the ongoing papal schism, which we're not really going to cover here. Anyway, Alexander issued a papal bull condemning the 45 Wycliffe writings and forbidding Hus from preaching at the Bethlehem Chapel. When Zybnek received news of the Pope's decision, he publicly burned Wycliffe's writings. Hus ignored this bull, however, and he kept on preaching and espousing the same beliefs as Wycliffe and studying and teaching from the scriptures. He said that he desired to hold, believe, and assert whatever is contained in them as long as I have breath in me. He decided to appeal Alexander's bull to one of the other popes, John XXIII. This ticked off Archbishop Zbynek, who promptly excommunicated Hus. Once Zbynek excommunicated him, Hus was ordered to Rome to stand trial for teaching Wycliffian ideas and for his sassy refusal to obey his archbishop and the popes. Hus refused to go to Rome for trial, so the court re-excommunicated him in 1411. Hus continued to stand his ground and even expanded his disobedience when he spoke out against papal indulgences offered by Pope John XXIII. Indulgences, you probably already know, are sort of get-out-of-jail-free cards that were offered by the Roman Catholic Church. They were developed as a way to raise money for building projects, wars, and other endeavors. Basically, the recipient of the indulgence would pay some amount of money and agree to do some sort of penance or act of charity in order to receive forgiveness for sins committed in the past, in the present, or future, either by them or by a relative that was already languishing in purgatory. Hus wasn't a fan of this either. Shall I keep silent? he asked. God forbid. Woe is me if I keep silent. It is better for me to die than not oppose such wickedness, which would make me a participant in their guilt and hell. Hus had public support on his side. 
He and his supporters declared the Pope the Antichrist. Sounds kind of like my father-in-law. Which upset the local government officials and resulted in the execution of three of Hus's followers in July 1412. Hus lost the support of King Wenceslas because Wenceslas was to receive a portion of each indulgence sold. Hus caused the church sales, which directly impacted the king's wallet. Hus's excommunication was pronounced publicly, and Hus was forced to leave Prague. No Catholic could receive communion or be buried in holy ground, as long as Hus continued to serve and preach. He would not return to Prague for two years, but he spent those two years writing. The most important document he composed is called simply The Church. In it, he asserted that Christ is the head of the church and that to disobey a pope when he is acting out of selfishness or ignorance is to obey Christ. In 1414, the church convened the Council of Constance to try and solve their multiple pope disorder and to look into possible ecclesiastical reforms and to try to root out heresies. The Holy Roman Emperor, Sigismund, urged Hus to attend the council to defend himself. Hus did want to put an end to the controversy, and when he was offered safe conduct by Sigismund, he agreed to attend. When he arrived at the council in November, he was immediately arrested and put in jail. Wenceslas and others prevailed on the council to give Hus a hearing which they agreed to. The hearing was a farce, however. Hus was presented with a list of 35 teachings that he supposedly held, and he was instructed to recant them. Not all of the teachings were even espoused by Hus, but he refused to recant anyway. He gave a fiery condemnation of the council's authority, saying, I appeal to Jesus Christ, the only judge who is almighty and completely just. In his hands I plead my cause, not on the basis of false witnesses and erring counsels, but on truth and justice. With that, he was placed back in his cell to await his fate. On July 6, 1415, he was taken to the council chambers. His books were burned in front of him, and Hus asked the council if they had even read the books, but they shouted him down. He reminded the council that he had come only on the promise of safe passage. He looked at Sigismund as he said this, but Sigismund only looked away. Recant or die, the council said. Hus was silent. He was then dressed in his priestly costume, and then one by one, each piece of the outfit was removed by the members of the council. As each article was removed, the council said, O cursed Judas, we take from you the cup of redemption. We commit your soul to the devil. He had a paper crown emblazoned with three demons forced on his head, and he was then sentenced to death. Now, when the church wanted someone killed, they didn't do it themselves. What they would do is they'd hold the trial themselves, pass judgment themselves, and then turn the condemned over to the secular authorities to carry out the sentence. In this way, their hands would be uh, supposedly clean. And that's what happened with Hus. He was turned over to the authorities and tied to the stake. He was given one more chance to recant, but he refused, saying, Lord Jesus, it is for thee that I patiently endure this cruel death. I pray thee to have mercy on my enemies. God is my witness that the principal intention of my preaching and of all my other acts or writings 
was solely that I might turn men from sin. And in that truth of the gospel that I wrote, taught, and preached in accordance with the sayings and expositions of the holy doctors, I am willing gladly to die today. Hundreds gathered to witness the execution of the heretic. The fire was lit, and as the flames consumed his body, Hus could be heard singing the psalms. His ashes were scooped up and tossed into a lake to prevent them from being treated like the relics of a martyr. Unrest in Bohemia continued for several years until the church and the Hussites finally reconciled. A hundred years later, after his death, Martin Luther would declare that he, Augustine, and Paul the Apostle were all Hussites. Hus was a man who seemingly lived and died before his time. He was a hundred years too early, or perhaps he just lived in the wrong part of Europe, or perhaps he just didn't have the stubborn temperament needed to start a lasting reformation of the church. Fortunately, God called a man in the 16th century with just the right qualities to raise a light in the darkness, and we'll get to him eventually. So that concludes another episode of Giants of the Faith. Hus is important because he was one of the ones that began to chip away at the Catholic Church's domination of religion in Europe. He was an inspiration for the reformers that followed, just as he is for us today. Well, that concludes another episode of Giants of the Faith. Thank you so much for listening and subscribing. If you like what you're hearing, please leave a rating and review on iTunes or in Apple Podcasts, and send along any comments or corrections or suggestions to podcast at giantsofthefaith.com. Until next time, God bless. God bless.